Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim, and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. We're on holiday this week. Not really, but we'll be looking back at some truly iconic travel shows as we put the ITV classic, Wish You Were Here, up against the BBC's Holiday. And we take a special look at Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. And of course, we'll look back on his life and how his show left an impact on millions watching. And obviously, we're going to have to talk about Jill Dando, but we'll talk about her brilliance and how she was an icon of British television before she was tragically killed outside her home. So, let's get started. And uh, joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Yo, how's it going? I'm alright, I'm alright. I mean, this is going to be quite a, a bittersweet episode, really. Yeah, do you know what? Those were the exact words I was going to use um, <laughs> for this episode. Um, kind of like a change of pace this weekend, I thought. You know, yeah. um, it feels different to the to the other weeks. It, it, it really did, it really did. I found myself not making that much notes. I just thought, let me just try and take it in, particularly with Anthony Bourdain. I think I made zero notes. It was just one of those where I'm just going to sit down and just take it all in. And So one episode, I didn't write any notes. And the other one, I literally just wrote like, uh, spoiler alert, Cal gets shot in neck with bow. Did they actually end up showing that? Yeah, I mean, I'll um. Well, we'll talk about that later. But <laughs> I mean, right? Let's uh, let's get started with uh, holiday, and uh, this show came out in January nineteen sixty nine. So uh, some of the things happening in the world: Richard Nixon is sworn in as the thirty seventh president of the United States. The Beatles gave their last public performance of several tracks on the roof of Apple Records in London. An assassination attempt was carried out on L- Lenoid Brezhnev by deserter Victor Ilin. One person is killed, several are injured, and Brezhnev escaped unharmed. The extraordinary seaman was in the cinemas, and I heard it through the grapevine by Marvin Gaye was number one in the charts. God, if you didn't know that song, one then, for one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You would have, um, you won't get three for three this week. So, uh, I, I can guarantee you that. So, uh, and if you do, then, uh, all the, all the, all the good luck for you. Um, so, uh, holiday. So, like I said, it came out in 1969, all the way in 1969. It was, uh, the oldest travel review series on UK television. And obviously, it began in 1969 as Holiday 69. And until the 1980s, the year was included in the title in this way. The first presenter was Cliff Michael Moore, who remained with the series until 1986. Each week, the program consisted of reports made by presenters visiting holiday resorts and destinations in both the UK or overseas. The locations would be reviewed based on criteria such as amenities, attractions and hospitality. Despite the program's interesting locations and resorts, it garnered a reputation for featuring destinations that the majority of viewers would be unable to afford. I don't know about that. I've seen some of them prices and thinking, damn, I won't mind going to uh, Grand Canaria in 93. Was it like £50 return? All inclusive? Shoot. 
And uh, the program spawned several short-lived offshoot programs, including Summer Holiday, Holiday Fasten Your Seatbelt, in which presenters tried out holiday-related jobs, Holiday You Call the Shots, which uh, viewers advised the presenters which sites to visit in particular destination prior to filming, and Holiday on a Shoestring. And many presenters appeared in the program, including, like I said, Cliff Michael Moore, Ginny Buckley, Joan Bakewell, Anne Gregg, Frank Bowe, Des Lynham, Eamon Holmes, Annika Rice, Jill Dando, Rizwana Latif, and Craig Doyle. And in addition, the teams of reporters who provided regular reviews on holiday destinations have included Sarah Kennedy, Bill Buckley, Kieran Prendeville, Fife Robertson, Kathy Taylor, Monty Don, Roland Riveron, John Cole, and Carol Smiley. And the final presenter was Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. Didn't even recognize half of the names of those, uh, of those people. Theme songs. Now, obviously, this uh, show had uh, quite a few theme songs. The original theme, the original, the original theme tune for the series was "The Lo- Loves the Castle," which I think was um, an actual song, an actual record. Subsequent theme tunes in the mid seventies included Hugo Montenegro's arrangement of Lalo Schifrin's theme to the 1968 movie The Fox and part five of Jean-Michel Jarre's Equinox. Um, Gordon Giltrap's Heart Song was used as a theme song from 1978 until the end of the 1985 series. In 1986, it was replaced with The Holiday Suite, written by Simon May, who who also composed the EastEnders theme. This actually then proved unpopular and was replaced the following year by a further Giltrap composition. That's not the last time you're going to hear Gordon Giltrap. And obviously the most iconic theme tune came in 1988 with Paul Hardcastle composing The Voyager. And this was the iconic theme tune that we all loved and heard throughout the the 90s and even I think part of the 2000s. And I think, yeah, I think after Jill Dando passed, they changed the... The theme, the theme tune, because I think it was as iconic as it was. It was always kind of related back to Jordando. When I hear that holiday theme tune, I, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, Jordando and whoever the hell was um, was uh, presenting that that show. So I mean, we'll we'll talk about Jordando in a in a minute, but I just wanted to kind of get a little of your thoughts about holiday itself. Let's kind of talk about holiday so this reminded me of a time when you had one television in your house and you had no netflix you had no uh not even a dvd player or anything else in your room because you would sit with your whole family with your dinner and watch something like this you know like something some holiday program i mean we didn't really go on that many holidays as a kid but um, I do remember these shows, and this, this, obviously the the latter theme, like you said, yeah, I definitely recognise that. It's just one of those where it's just it, it's burning. It's like it's so iconic. I mean, for me, I think my sisters liked this more than I did. Yeah, and obviously, as you were saying, with the whole one TV deal, and 
I'm I'm about maybe eighty percent, ninety percent sure. I think this actually came at the same time as we were here. So there was a battle for the. It was like almost like Monday Night Wars at seven o'clock. You're gonna watch. You can watch Holiday. You can watch Wish You Were Here. Oh, so I think there was a bit of that. So, but yeah, I remember this very well. I remember watching it. I remember not necessarily being a fan of it as a kid. So obviously, it's just people go. At the time, I just thought, oh my goodness, it's so boring. I don't really care that they were on some beach or they're on some resort somewhere. It didn't. It didn't really do anything for me as a kid. But um, it was one of those where you just thought, ah, seven o'clock, it's tradition. Tradition is tradition. You're going to be watching a holiday show. I don't know which one it's going to be. Is it going to be Wish You Were Here? Is it going to be Holiday? Are you going to switch over to Holiday when Wish You Were Here is on an ad break? And Yeah, I mean, um, one thing I will say, like, looking at it as, as an adult now, I mean, what a job. Right. I know, what right? I was trying to work it out, right? So as a cameraman, you know, and I know you're the same, you know, you kind of dissect these things in a more like technical manner. I'm thinking, right, they must have filmed 10 minutes in each location and they're dossing the rest of the time. Absolutely dossing. Like the cameraman, you know, he's got his like shorts on and he's got his feet up. Also, his sandals but come in one, one frame. That will depend though, won't it though? If you can find the people to talk to. Yeah. If you cuz if you find people to talk to and you find what you want to film and you're getting permission to film in all these places, then yeah, it'll be 10 minutes, but I would imagine that they would go there and thinking, you know what? We'll do a couple of vox pops and if you know anything about doing vox pops, it is not as glamorous as it looks on TV. You will get knocked about. You get knocked back. Like let's say if I vox pop or try to stop 20 people if I've spoken to three people, I'm taking that to the bank and showing that to my editor. Thank you very This is what I've done. Three people spoke to me. And you can imagine trying to get permission. You're trying to talk to the restaurant people going, look, we're going to promote your deal. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Someone will be like, no, 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 no. It's, it's long. It's not going to be 10 minutes. It's long. Yeah, but like, I mean, think think of it where they like where they go to a hotel and they don't have to speak to anyone. They go to a hotel and then you know they're like, "Oh, look at this drinks!" Like, "Oh yeah, that's this really good hotel." But then, you gotta get permission to do that. Ain't free to do that in a hotel. But, <laughs> it ain't free. Yeah, but imagine, right? Imagine you're a hotel owner, right? And and there's like four channels in the UK, and you have a, you have an absolute like. I think that's what they've got to try and um. You got a captive audience, like they're, no, they're but you got to persuade the hotel people that you got to um say to them, "Hey man, we go and promote your deal. We're gonna do this. This is gonna be a big show on the BBC. Millions, you know, I'm I'm I'd imagine millions watched Holiday. Millions, yeah, no, so you exactly. Can so that's the tell producer. them. So that's yeah. the producer's job to to yeah. to, to let you in there. And yeah, I, I was thinking as a cameraman, you'd be like best job in the world. The one thing I will say is right, you got the people that go Crank Canaria, they go Switzerland, they go Spain, they go this, and then there's one guy that got sent to Norfolk, and. And like all these, they literally had like the best places in the world. Yeah, but I'm sure they made it up to him, and they probably took him to like uh, Colombia or somewhere. But imagine you opening the envelope. Oh yeah, because obviously, like you know, email wasn't really a big thing back then. You open your envelope. Oh yeah, where are they sending me? (laughs) Norfolk. (laughs) In October. (laughs) Oh, is that Broadway? No, no, this is Broadway Moors, mate. (laughs) No, but I think. 
even if it is traveling around the UK, it's blessed. It's it's holiday. Like I said, like you said, it's gonna be a dos, providing you get what you need and you notify the relevant people. Hey, we got clout. You know what I mean? This is holiday. This is our clout. Like three, four, five million people are watching this every night without fail. We will get people to your resort without fail, and I'm I'm sure I'm sure they did. Yeah, I mean, I still hate to be that cameraman with like white legs, and all the other cameramen have got brown legs, He's standing <laughs> in the old. <laughs> but I think it's it's a rotation, isn't it? It's one of those where one day you're going to be here, one day you're going to be there. You can't always go to the n- nicest places in the world. Like sometimes you're going to have to go to Skegness. You're going to have to tell people Skegness. <laughs> you have to it's part of the job it's it's one of them do you know one thing i really liked about this program was how they they also told you the bad things about places as well yeah 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 yeah. um and i thought that was like kind of a cool kind of a cool touch yeah because i remember one of the blokes was like yeah the food's here is quite whack they're not really giving me service because exactly like your man was chatting to the um the concierge or whatever and he's like uh yeah you can't have water sorry I saw that. I think I saw that episode. He's like, you can't have water. There's no water in the whole hotel. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah, you got got to go to the shop, mate. That that, that, that kind of thing. I think for most part, when I'm staying in hotels, I always tend to get my own food. So I ain't really mad if I can't call up room service. I ain't got money for like room service. I ain't got money for, um, for someone to be getting me some whack food like i'm just gonna do it myself that's how i kind of operate anyway but then like for me that's that's how i kind of operate when i go to hotels anyway i don't don't really care if you don't give me water ever don't do anything for me i'll pay for my room i'll stay out of your way i'll do my thing that's how i move when i go on holiday the thing is i haven't been on holiday for ages for a long time for years so i um i normally go to um hotels and stuff like that when i when i fly with work so i'm room surfacing everything i'm like i get i'm i'm like oh that looks really nice uh, i remember once i ordered a um a prawn a prawn curry for um for my room service that night so i one, one thing when i go when i go abroad i don't really like to go down and socialize with people oh we're gonna go out to dinner and do this and i'm like do you know what i'll have my room service in an early night I'm, I'm I'm like the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> so I, I got this prawn curry and I remember the, the guy came in with a huge trolley, like pushing his whole trolley and and he and he kind of lifts up this this uh lid of a saucepan. You know, this huge thing. And uh, do you know like the huge like I'm not sure what they're called, but like the king prawns, but you know, I'm talking like they're like like four or five inches long, these things. And there was loads of them, and I was like I'll, I'll I'll try and send a picture because this was like one of the best, most extravagant meals I've ever had. And I sat there watching, I don't know, probably BBC Worldwide because there's nothing else. I was in a different country. There's no English TV on there. Uh, on there. So, um, but yeah, it's one of the best meals I've ever had. But that's what I tend to do. Right. So uh, speaking of that, let's uh, talk about episodes. Now, I know I watched one episode from the 80s. I think Holiday 87 I watched. I watched, yeah. So Holiday 87... So I think, yeah, it starts off with uh, John Carter going to the Maldives. And so he's basically snorkeling. He's checking out these wonderful islands. 
and it's basically how they were talking about how you can get involved with the culture. You can always like immerse yourself and you basically got all these middle-class white people trying to dance with no rhythm doing the whole typical like and you got all these like colorful people from the Maldives doing their little dance I wrote yeah that he was snorkeling under sea with lovely music in the background and you know how much that cost 866 pounds for two weeks all inclusive flights you get like a, a car that's going to take you to the hotel. All of that. You know how difficult it is to get like a, like travel sorted out after you've landed to in the airport and you're trying to figure out how to get to the hotel. You know how like that whole period is so stressful because you're like, how the hell am I going to get to the hotel? I don't speak the language. How am I going to get a car? Am I going to pay too much for a taxi? It's one of those where if it's included in the flight, that's blessed. Absolutely. I mean, I always, like I said, because I travel with work, I tend to go to the people in the airport that charge a fortune. Um, not because they charge a fortune, but because I know that I can come back somewhere and tell tell someone. I think um, over the last, um, with, 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 with my travels, I've kind of tended to fend for myself a little bit. Initially, I used to be one of them, like, I'm just going to get an Uber. And that will take me. I know it's guaranteed, but then once uh, I've kind of, sort of become a bit more brave. So when I was in Germany, when I landed in Berlin, I was like, you know what? Sod it. I'm going to make it to the hotel on my own. And so I'm like looking at buses. I'm looking at schedules. I've got where my where I'm staying, the address. So I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to go. Italy, I did the same. I'm just going to, oh, this bus looks like it's going to be where I need to go. So jump on that bus. Um, that's and... that's brave, man. I mean, the, be the best I've done is travel across Switzerland on the train. Um, oh, just quickly about Switzerland. When I was in Switzerland, I was um, uh, waiting for the train and around a corner came a double-decker train. I was, I was in my late 20s when I first saw one of these. I was like a kid when this thing came around. I was like, I'm going straight up the top. And Same. I ran to the top. I when like, I was in France, yeah, double-decker trains. I literally was like, I'm sitting at the top, right at the front. That's me, man. That's me. But, um, yeah, like, and then, what did I do in Canada and America? Uh, yeah, Canada and America kind of pretty much did the same. Like, I, I went, I greyhounded into America. And then, yeah, I just, I just, I just took the bus to where I was staying as well. Like, I just figured out, right, this is where I need to go. Broom. Bedsty, and I was remembering the name of the road or whatever, and then I was just like, right, I'm going to go on the bus, I'm going to check my phone for like DLs and travels and, and things like that. Boom, I'm just going to fend for myself. But anyway, yeah, that was that. £866 for two weeks return. That's blessed. And then you got Jill, speaking of America and Greyhound, she was uh, on a Greyhound bus tour to the south of America. She goes to Dallas first, and obviously Dallas was the home of the classic TV show Dallas. And there's like this tour of like where um, JR lives in in Dallas. So you get like loads of tourists flocking to that place, and they're all going, "Oh my God, this is Dallas, Dallas!" And then you got some lady, the interviewing some lady, go, "Oh, are you a, a fan of Dallas?" She's like, "I used to be a fan, but I think the show kind of fell off a little bit." And then there's oh. And, and then I think the presenter goes, oh, can you imagine if JR was really here? She goes, ah, oh, yeah, JR, he's good or whatever. And he literally got on the window balcony. Oh, it's JR! And everyone's going, oh, it's JR, 
it's JR. And he's literally going around shaking people's hands. And he's like, oh, you know, from time to time, I like to pop up onto the tour. I like to kind of speak to the fans. I like to kind of see what, what they're up to, what's up. And then they go to Memphis and Graceland, obviously, to see Elvis and kind of see what's what in that respect. Apparently, like on that Greyhound tour of the South, it's like £64 for a week. So you just get, yeah, jump on a Greyhound for a week. You get to go to all these different places. And I think it's 150 for like a month. I kind of vowed when I was in America that I'm never ever going to go on a Greyhound again. When I traveled, well, because I first traveled from Toronto to Buffalo on the Greyhound. And that was only like a couple of hours. It was all right. Like Buffalo's, I love America. Shout out to all my American listeners. I think we've hit 300 downloads in America. Like honestly, big up, big up, big up America. But like Buffalo, yeah, forget it, man absolute squalor absolute yeah less said about buffalo the better and then i traveled i think yeah from buffalo to brooklyn did i go to brooklyn no 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 no. actually no tell a lie uh, buffalo to grand central the bus actually stopped me at grand central that was such a long and arduous journey because i thought if i'm on a bus for more than my cutoff point normally for coaches and buses is five hours if i'm on there longer than five hours forget about it but this was so cheap, the Buffalo to New York. It was like literally five bucks, six bucks even. That cheap. And literally the guy was just literally putting people on going, oh, you're going to New York? Yeah, yeah, get on this bus. I'm going to take you there. And it's just on there for like eight, nine hours. I felt like absolute rubbish. And then when I went from New York to DC, the bus broke down because he managed to crash. He, We were on the bus or whatever. He collided with a police car of all vehicles to collide into. Because I was actually sitting on the back on my own and I had my legs spread out. I was chilling. I was thinking, oh my God, this could be a nice three-hour journey to DC. I'll still have some of the day left, so I maybe might be able to have some dinner and and, and go out or whatever. Absolutely crash. I almost fall off. We were literally stranded on the New Jersey Turnpike for like four or five hours. And buses just kept passing us by, passing us by. We're like, where the hell are people going to pick us up? And he literally had this policeman talking to everybody going, oh, hey, where are you going? Where are you going? Whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to be going to my uncle's. He's meant to be meeting me. And literally, I can't. And I, I'm, I'm trying to communicate with him. And I've got like no minutes. Because like with mobile phones in America and Canada, they just, it's so expensive. And they take up so much time. And then it's like, it just takes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then eventually, I think at like nine, ten o'clock, we like set off or whatever. And we get to like Washington, we get to DC at like midnight or whatever. I just thought, what a piss take. Like, I'm never going on no Greyhound again. And yeah, anyway, and then I think the last thing was um, Kathy Taylor, who drew the short straw and ended up going to Basingstoke to play snooker. And obviously, she was kind of learning how to play snooker. There was a, a, a bit of a pervy bit where the man was like, oh, we got to brace the hips. Oh, you'll like this bit. Brace the hips. And she's literally like looking awkwardly at the camera. And I'm like, you poor, poor girl. And that's why uh, different time, different yeah, time. Yeah, TV was different. You can't be doing that. That fool would get cancelled if he did that now. And then, yeah, so it was basically like a, a snooker weekend, really. Because obviously in the 80s, snooker was massive. 
Everyone was on that snooker hype. Steve Davis, Dennis Taylor, the Black Bull final, and all of that. Jimmy White. Jimmy White as well. I don't I don't think he was in the 80s though, was he? I mean it came up in the it was more 90s, I thought. The Wizard of Wishaw, wasn't it? Anyway, yeah, so that snooker weekend cost 97 pounds all inclusive. So you get like food, you get a little break. It's like a nice little weekend thing. £97 again, that's... I'm looking at it thinking that's pretty good. And then the second episode was, yeah, Jill Dando going to Switzerland. So that was the episode that I watched as well. But so first of all, I watched one where... Um, so they went to Canary Islands. Uh, then Am- Eamon Holmes was in it. Like a like a really, really young Eamon Holmes. Can't stand um, him. I really um, wanted to avoid this episode because I saw him in it. Can't stand him. Okay. And yeah, this is one where they went to Tenerife and Norfolk as well. So um, just quickly rattle off the um, what happened. Um, I wrote like kind of Grand Canaria. Like I, you kind of think about it. I've never been. I've never kind of really seen seen much about it. So I was like, uh, when when I looked at it, the first note I wrote was it looks way more rubbish than I thought. <laughs> And uh, that's where, one thing I did quite like is where that's where they filmed the spaghetti westerns with um, Clint Eastwood and Fistful a couple of, of dollars. Movies. Yeah, they filmed Fistful yeah. of Dollars. One of my dad's all-time favorite films. That I absolutely loved that film. I never watched it, so I watched it with um, I watched it with my wife the first time, and I loved it. I've watched the Good, the Bad, and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly before, but not this one. Um, uh, so they do like a show, like a bandit show there, like twice a day of like uh, like bandits robbing a bank and stuff like that. So that's I thought that was quite cool. And that was like five. Nearly five hundred pound a week, um, which is still too expensive for me. Um, Eamon Holmes looks about twelve. He does this like he... oh, they do. Um, sorry, they do evening entertainment as well. Arabian Nights, which I wrote very un-British, because you had like the belly dancers or whatever, and there was a little kid going to doing trying to do the whole belly dancing thing. I wrote that it was um. So if you went to uh, Grand Canaria on its own, it's three hundred and eighty-six. If you go to Gran Canaria and La Gomera, which was, I think, the other island, it was 457 all-inclusive. Yeah, that's what I think that's the, the one that I wrote down. So, um, uh, and then, so Eamon Holmes gets the best job in the whole world where he gets to sample a five-star prize that they're going to give away um, in this place in the Far East. And it starts in Hong Kong and, you know, they're going through the trams and, like, you know, sampling some of the backstreet stuff in Hong Kong, the herbal medicine and stuff like that. Um, and uh, the marketplace and all that and then they go to bangkok uh and then they do some bangkok stuff there and then they go koh samui in thailand as well and that's when i wrote down um this is a dos job like imagine being a cameraman and follow him around like or or, i mean i'm from the camera even for him he's got like on camera he's got to sip something oh look how good this is in this hotel blah 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 cut dosing around for the rest of the day like it looks amazing. I would love to do that job. Anyway, th- and one thing I did find in, uh, interesting was this one. In the last place in Thailand, they have coconut industry. It's their biggest um, export. And they get help from the local monkeys. They actually help them take the, 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 the coconuts off the tree. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that was 3,000. Bear in mind, this is quite a long time ago. So like 3,380 pounds for, for, for that prize. I'm not sure how long it was. Maybe like a week or whatever. I only wrote down the economy price, which was much less than that. Yeah, like 1,500 quid or something. It's yeah, it's not pricey. bad. I, what do you mean pricey? Um, 
You're going to all these 50. places. Yeah, but for all person, that money. I'm thinking like, as a, if I need to take the family. But if you over, think, but if like... you think, if you if you're thinking spending money, because it's not just fourteen, it's not just flights. This, this is flights, hotel, travel, food's going to be cheap. All of that, add it up together, and you think what you're going to be spending anyway when you're on holiday. Okay, fair enough. That's true. Um, the next bit was I didn't write who it was, but they were talking about some ski skiing. Oh, traveler tips on skiing. I think it was Jill Dando. Oh, okay. So let's talk about this. After some people died, here's some here's some tips for skiers because uh, following the recent deaths of skiers abroad, I was like, number one tip should be don't go. Well, that should be the literally. Number one yeah, tip. I'm. That's what I was thinking. Like, who goes skiing? White people, of course. But it's like, why would you do that? What What is the enjoyment in that? Come on. It's and yeah. Not to mention how. Bleeding dangerous is. Yeah, I mean, I I've never been skiing. I've been to a skiing town, but I didn't ski there. I I just don't know why you would risk either one. Everyone that's been skiing ever, and this is like definitely a fact. You can take this to the bank. Everyone that's skiing has injured themselves at some point, right? And and then you've also got the risk of skiing off a mountain by accident. Skiing into a tree or a person, or getting avalanched on—that's like that doesn't seem like a yeah. very good holiday. No, thing. and uh, obviously you had um, timeshares in Tenerife. I see. I love this bit. This was the bit where I was talking about like people were not having a good time. This is the thing that came to mind because you got these people, and this one guy literally was standing in front of people as they were trying to walk, saying, "Do you want to buy timeshares?" And they're like, no, and like, quite forcefully, no. And he's still going on. I'm like, he's like, yeah, you won, you won. It's like, leave me alone. Yeah, I was like, I will lamp you if you don't get in my way. I love the tips. Like, Deny your British and carry a Spanish newspaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although you've already got one. <laughs> carry a Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Spanish, mate. Look at that. See. Si. See, how do you say newspaper in Spanish again? Oh, I should know. It's because you're English, you've got to say newspaper with an accent. That's how English people talk other languages. So, yeah, so he's the guy that pulled the short straw this episode, and he had to go to Norfolk, and and he was just driving a boat round, and then the little girl, they asked the little girl what she liked about. No, um, no, he, what she they, liked. They, they asked her what she liked, and then she ended up saying what she didn't like. What I, what I didn't like <laughs> is the toilets and the showers. <laughs> and, um, I mean, t- for me, I was like, that looks like quite a cool holiday, like quite an interesting holiday, but it's not, it's not a nice holiday. It's not a nice holiday. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, if it, let's do it. If we did yesterday's capers on a boat in Norfolk, trying not to crash a boat around the Norfolk Broads, that would be quite cool. I would enjoy Yeah, it. I was going to say, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's not really like a relaxing family holiday. It's cheap, though. This was cheap. 441 for six, one week. Yeah, I mean, that was... That's not even, yeah, it's about, what, 80 quid a person for a week? I've got a, I've got a question. How do you get petrol for a boat? I've never seen a boat petrol station. You should probably carry it in a bucket and just fill it up, no? I have no whatever, idea. Whatever the boat... tanks you have, you probably go to a petrol station, you fill up the tank, and then you take it over to the boat. 
I reckon we've got a business idea there. I reckon we set up a petrol station in the water. I reckon we'll we'll make a kill. You know what? I like, do it. Do it. Let's. I, I. You know. I am. I am. I am more than up for doing something like that. <laughs> um. Um. Uh, do you want to take it away, or do you want yep, me to? Can do. Um. So yeah, Dildando in Switzerland skiing. And God, I, I love how elegant and graceful she was when she was doing the whole skiing bit and everything. She's like, oh, I'm skiing in August. Can you believe it? She's like, you know, doing a whole little thing. And I just thought, man, made it look so good. So I bet she did that in one take as well. Like it was nothing. The, the one thing I really liked, and I don't know why I love it, is yodeling. Ah. It sounds so No, cool. it doesn't actually. It depends. I... I I I I don't know why there's something about it. I, I find it quite cool. I I, I like. Oh, it. I liked um, also the music box. You know, like music box when you open it up and you have the little ballerina. Oh, we used to so have cool. one in our house with really, the little. They were it was awesome. like a little green box. You open it and you got like this little ballerina. It wasn't even that tune. I, I you know I can remember the tune in my head. I can't. Yeah, but it's like I can remember the tune in my head. You open the box up. It's got the little thing. God, that's that 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 is like so. God, I, I can even remember how it smells like. That's how far back that goes. Also, I learned that cuckoo clock is actually German. So when we was talking about that's cuckoo, that's cuckoo, that's that's German. That's what that is. <laughs> and obviously, you're going. She's on the Crystal Panoramic Express, which looks so cool. That looked incredible. I was going to look up views. to see if that's still there. Views. Yeah, so the cost of holiday I wrote I think was six hundred and seventy five pounds for a week. For yeah. all of that. For skiing, yodeling, Swiss army knifing, leg amputeeing, paragliding. And then I wrote Olivia Newton John and her daughter go horse riding in Don Fanahay in Ireland. And uh yeah, so they're just basically doing their thing. Yeah, I put walked on some road, skipped it. Eight hundred eighty-five pounds. Do another one. Eight hundred eighty-five pounds. To Ireland, it's Ireland. Yeah, but what are you doing though? Whatever you, yeah, but imagine the flights even back then were cheap, right? Whatever you're gonna spend on, it's going to add up, no matter what. Like you're thinking of it from a flight point of view. You have to think of it as an overall. This is an overall thing. And they're saying that it's going to cost £885 for not only your flight, but that someone's going to take you to your hotel. You're going to have your hotel. You're going to have probably food. And it includes your little horse riding deal. All yeah, of know, that. I mean, getting a sore backside for... Riding around Ireland for eight hundred eighty-five pounds. But Ireland's low-key beautiful, man. I've only been to Dublin. I like Dublin. Ireland, Ireland. Like if you like where they were going horse riding, with like the sea and the and the and the and the, and the, the views and the background, it looks stunning. Shout out to my listeners in Ireland. I know we're 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 slowly building up a a, a listening ship over there. So uh, yeah, shout out to. Uh, uh, people in Ireland, but yeah, that that looked blessed. And then uh, you got someone going to uh, Alicante without hotels, so he's basically trying to wing it. He's trying to see how it is going to be like if you try and wing it. You know, when you're like booking hotels and you do it all last minute, and obviously, as people maybe didn't know, 
that's one of the biggest hacks when you're going on holiday. If you book last minute and you're there, then you can sort of um, book it for cheaper. I think it's also the same when you're exchanging money. It's actually you get a better value if you do it in the country as opposed to the UK. Because obviously UK, they have like their fixed system and they have their fixed way of going about it. But if you go over there, you might get a little bit more. That sort of thing. And uh, yeah, so and they're talking about and the man's talking about how he managed to book something for a lot cheaper than um, the poor British family getting mugged off. And but he was saying that, again, it wasn't the best hotel because it was um, missing some things. I think this is what we were talking about with the water and everything. And obviously, I think you're saying that you can book cheap holidays via teletext and you can go windsurfing for less than £100. And you had, I think, John, yeah, John, John Buer again, who was struggling to stay on the board. And he was saying that it was £95, including all meals and tuition, which... Yeah, that was, that was in Cornwall, mm. wasn't it, that one? Toya Wilcox in Bermuda. Yeah, the shorts is one of the main notes I wrote, wrote for that. I loved how everything in the 90s, if you're on a motorbike, you'd always have to play Born to be Wild. Yeah. That's like the classic... <laughs> thing you do when you're on a 90s tv show someone on a motorbike get out on a highway it's like the typical classic 90s shot where you're like the kind of someone on the bike and they're just zooming off what else is she doing bermuda uh yeah apparently it's the new weekend destination you can scuba dive you can play golf all inclusive. Don't tell me this is expensive. Five hundred pounds Bermuda, three nights, all inclusive. Bermuda's far, man. For three nights, I won't go for three nights. It's five hundred pounds, all inclusive. So imagine yeah, you look I... that up on on teletext, and for oh my god, this is a seventy-five pound return. You're looking at that, and you're saying you're not gonna go. I mean, that's just, a, uh, that's just a complete guess. I don't think it cost £75 even back then. But the point is, I think the flights are cheap. Because obviously, they're not including flights. They're not including... Um, they're not breaking down the flight. They're not breaking down details. So 500 So you know what? Let's, let's just kind of do it in a purely mathematical sense. So 500 divided by 3, that's what? 1617? 1670. So £160, £170 return. That's how much the flights cost. For three nights in Bermuda. Uh, didn't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind doing the deep sea diving thing where they put a fish tank on your head and you get to go in the water. That looked quite cool. Yeah, so you, oh, you're you going to pay that. So that probably costs about 50 quid. So that's what, 220? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go... I don't know, because I put bike, helicopter, boat. I mean, a helicopter, I guess, is like an exclusive thing, right? I love boats, Helicopters so. quite Everywhere cool. I'm going on holiday, I'm always going on a boat. I don't care. How cold it is, how hot it is. I'm on a boat wherever I am in the world. Oh, I want to see your country in a boat? Certainly. Put me on that boat. Norfolk Broads. Sort Take it out. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Norfolk Broads. We we love your we love Norfolk. We love we love Norfolk. Shout out to uh, listeners in Norfolk. We wanna we wanna we, we, we wanna come true. We wanna pull up to your your town. And uh Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I guess that is quite a good deal, but um, I mean, not my cup of tea, but I guess. <sighs> right. Um, I think we put it off long enough. Uh, Jill Dando. Got to talk about Jill Dando. So uh, 
Yeah. Just a quick little bit of notes. She was born in Ashcombe House Maternity Home in Western Supermare in 1961. When she was three years old, it was discovered she had a hole in her heart and a blocked pulmonary artery, and she had heart surgery when she was uh, four years old. She presented the BBC television programmes Breakfast Time, Breakfast News, and the BBC One, o- BBC One O'Clock News and the Six O'Clock News, obviously the travel programme Holiday, the Crime Appeal series Crime Watch from 1995 until her death, and occasionally Songs of Praise. She moved to Fulham in 1994, and in April 1999, she presented the first episode of Antiques Inspectors. She was scheduled to present the 6 o'clock news on the evening of the following day, the following day being her death. She was featured on the cover of that week's Radio Times magazine. Dando was also booked to host the British Academy Television Awards, along with Michael Parkinson at the Grosvenor Hotel in May of that year. And on the morning of the 26th of April, 1999, Dando was shot dead outside her home at Gowen Avenue in Fulham. It prompted the biggest murder inquiry conducted by the Metropolitan Police and the country's largest criminal investigation since the hunt of the Yorkshire Ripper. Mm -hmm. A local man, Barry George, was convicted and imprisoned for the murder, but was later acquitted after an appeal and retrial. The case remains unsolved. Can you imagine the biggest manhunt, the biggest inquiry? And to this day, to this day, they still don't know who did it and what happened. Whatever, man. And um, quickly, before I pass to you, on the 5th of September, BBC One resumed airing Antiques Inspectors, the final series to be recorded. And the series... And it was cancelled, but then they ended up showing it a year later in the year, and it was a tribute to the presenter. Soon after the murder, some commentators identified the possibility of a Yugoslav or Serb connection. The origin of the theory then turned out to be a viewer's letter recalled by Alison Lewis, who was Dando's agent, complaining that a disasters emergency committee appeal fronted by Dando had been one-sided. It contained no hint of a threat. But the story that reached the media was that it was extremely menacing. Probably the most uh, interesting one of the claims was uh, following the Jimmy Savile sexual abuse scandal, a claim was made that Dando had investigated a paedophile ring at the BBC during the mid-1990s and had handed a dossier containing her findings to BBC management, purportedly prompting a revenge attack. The BBC said that it had seen no evidence to support that claim. So, Jill Dando, what do you uh, remember of her? See, to be perfectly honest, I don't remember much other than she was on TV all the time. Um, And obviously, I remember her death and and things like that. Um, But the main thing was obviously, like, I was quite up with the whole um, she was about to crack a massive case and she was, like, taken out of the picture kind of thing. That's that's the the kind of thing that I kind of remember and think about. and obviously how it's unsolved, like you said, like, you know, if you're, if you're going to head of like Scotland Yard or whatever, I mean, and you can't solve a Biggest since the Yorkshire Ripper and they're telling me they can't solve this case. Like, you know what I mean? They's... Yeah, I think the thing with all of this is, you know, look, I ain't really into conspiracy theories. I ain't one of them. Oh, my God, the moon landing is fake. And all. I ain't about that life. But... I think the whole idea about the 
her investigating the Jimmy Savile and the, the pedophile ring at the BBC as she was about to blow the case wide open. I can believe that. And I think someone in Bristol, where she's from, her hometown, did an interview. That person's anonymous. They didn't want to say who they was. Yeah, and that person was like, yeah, Giordano was about to blow the case wide open. About to, about to do it. And then, boom, she's gone. And even like how she died. Because obviously the, the er, er, initial kind of theory was, oh, it's a crazy fan. Crazy person did it. Ran into a home and whatever. But like I read about her, her killing. Like they put her on the floor and they shot her in the head. That's oh, so like execution. That's execution style. That's someone who wanted to take her out. And had to be sure as well. Because it wasn't like a hit and run kind of thing. I think, and, and obviously they use the silencer because obviously anybody can hear a gunshot. They're like, we didn't hear no gunshot. We just, we just found her on on the floor. Like, just there. Dead. This, this yeah, like, it was someone who wanted to take her out. And whether or not it was, because obviously the, even like the Yugoslavia Serbian thing, I, even I thought that was far-fetched. I don't think it's that. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's that at all. That's, 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 that's way... Your people are thinking way out of the box. And obviously you had the theory of Crime Watch. Obviously she was a presenter of Crime Watch. Busting big cases. You know, bus case doing all of that. But then, even then, again, they, they were like, you can't, we don't really... Look, I mean, in terms of the Crime Watch thing, like Jill Dando's a presenter of Crime Watch. She's not a policewoman. Exactly. She's not a detective. Like, it's, it's a TV She's show. She's basically you know going, I mean? know. have you seen this man? We... Without degrading anybody, the people that are in front of camera and doing stuff on TV read a script. They have all the facts fed to them by producers and analysts and researchers and stuff like that. They're the people that do the main work. I mean, taking out someone for Crime Watch, come no. on. No, yeah, that's that was that was again another. But for me, like what I remember, like I remember Jill Dando very well from the night. She was like one. She was like one of the biggest talents. She was the face of of British television. She was. It was her. Like she was everywhere, everywhere you kind of went, and it wasn't like it was one of those things where oh my god, Giordano again, so whatever. But like she was good at her job. Like she, I, I was watching all of the episodes of Holiday. I just wish it was her, not all the other fools. Like she was great. I could listen to her talk all day. Like she was so good at her job. Okay, look, she was good looking. That I guess would help. Very easy on the eye for lots of people. She was one of those where she was a personality. She was very endearing. She was very warm. She kind of like brought you along with the journey. You kind of felt that you were there with her. I know that might sound a bit corny, but real talk, like she was there with us. Like we were on this journey with her. And when like, I I remember like it was yesterday, we was at school. Did I go home for lunch that day? I think I might have gone home for lunch. And I think they were breaking the news. They were like, yeah, Jill Dando was shot dead outside her home. Even then, I'm like, as a kid in year six or whatever, because it was 99, so I must have been in year six. Man, I'm like, what, Jill Dando? Like, she's the one face, the one constant that I see on TV. It's her. And hearing that she is not going to be there anymore, and she was going to get married as well in that year in the autumn, she was she was gonna get married. She was only thirty seven. She's she was gonna be sixty, I think, next year. Man, it's crazy, man. Like, I mean, 
it's 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 obviously like when people get like cut down like that you know when when people die and I, and I use the term loosely like you know kind of before their time kind of thing it's always really sad but to, 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 for, for those circumstances on top of that and the mystery and um you know the unsolved case and you know the controversy like surrounding it it's just adds, it just adds everything yeah uh, did you watch the uh, this is your life i started to watch it but in all honesty i ran out of time um which was a bit sad because it's kind of like I watched the the very 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 beginning where she gets kind of like yeah I really like because they're like oh can you um because she's radio presenting she's, I think no she's doing a voiceover she, for Holiday I think it was yeah, yeah. oh yeah and, and they're like oh Jill can you just watch this um like the producers like pipe through to ears Jill can you watch this video um uh for tonight's show or something like that and she goes yeah what you want me to watch it and listen to it as in like you mm-hmm. know do I keep my headphones off sort of and it's um Michael Aspel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Aspel saying, uh, um, I want to say Michael Parkinson then. Um, saying, um, saying, hello, Jill. Like, and, oh, <laughs> and, like, and then what's going on? And then you're thinking, oh my god, that's the plot twist. And then knock, 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 knock. What's going on? And then boom, the book. Oh, you know what? I loved This Is Your Life as a kid, loved watching This Is Your Life. We used to watch that as a family all the time. This is your life, the big book, whatever it's that with Michael Aspel. Well, you know Michael Aspel's around with that big book. You know it's about to go down. And it's so crazy how they were just talking about, like, like the, uh, you know what? I, may, I think it may have actually been in 99, that episode of This Is Your Life. I think it might have been 1999 when she died. And obviously they were kind of um, talking about whatever and they were talking about the new millennium. And it's one of those things. It's like you're reminded, like, you're not promised tomorrow, man. Because obviously we're, they're just talking, and obviously none of them are gonna think. Yeah, this is probably gonna be like one of the last, like times that we're gonna like see Jill, and we're gonna like talk to her, and we're gonna see her. And I remember, I think the crime presenter was like, "Yeah, you know, I hope you're gonna be presenting Crime Watch well into the new millennium, and and all of this, uh, and all of this stuff." And you just like, "Yeah, you're not." We ain't promised tomorrow, man. And it just, it was, I guess in, in, in that sense, it was nice that she got her flowers. Cause I think that's what essentially this is your life is. It's just you getting your flowers, people recognizing you for who you are and, 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 and the, and the brilliance of, 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 of your job and, and how, how well you did your job and how you captivated millions of people, millions. Like it was, I'm I'm watching it, and I'm not. You know, if it was one of those where you're one of those awkward presenters, like she really and truly wasn't. Like she was so, such a good presenter, so good. So no wonder she was on BBC Breakfast, doing the news, doing Crime Watch, doing Holiday, doing some antique detectors. That probably would have been great. I mean, damn, I probably would have watched that too. But uh, yeah. That's all I've really got to say about that. Yeah, I t- I really got nothing to add, man. To be honest, it's just incredibly sad that um some someone whoever it was yeah. would do something like quite so. We all know who did it, and um obviously there's lots of theories out there. We ain't no detectives, so we're not gonna try and crack the case. But uh, really and truly, just hope that we do find whoever whoever did this to her, and um, her family can get that justice. So. Uh, 
Right, let's go on now to uh, Wish You Were Here. So this show came out in January 1974. So uh, some of the things happening in the world. David, Elizabeth, Emma, Grant, Jason and Nicolette Rosenkowitz are born in Cape Town. The first recorded sex tuplets in the world where all six babies survive. In response to the 1973 energy crisis, daylight savings time commences nearly four months early in the United States. With effect from this date, the New Zealand government terminates all tariff preferences previously granted to South Africa. The trial of Billy Jack was in the cinemas. And Show and Tell by Al Wilson was number one in the charts. So, uh, wish you were here. So, this was a British television show. As first broadcast on the 7th of January 1974 on ITV. It was a series of about 30-minute shows on travel and holidays. And the opening titles in the late 70s was a number of scenes on which was children jumping on a bouncy castle. By January 1986, the opening sequence and theme tune also changed. By now, the opening sequence included an animation of a suitcase being closed, put on a plane and jetting off. And the opening titles and theme tune were changed again in about 1988. Now, the, uh, the classic, iconic theme tune that was used was The Carnival, which was Gordon Giltrap, if you remember from Holiday. The choice of Giltrap's yeah, music is an interesting coincidence since BBC's similar vein offering Holiday used a selection of uh, Giltrap's distinctive music and heart song. Some of the presenters... Judith Chalmers, who first started in 1974 and went down with with uh, Wish You Were Here in 2003. So she was there right from the beginning, right till the end. Jim Lloyd, Chris Kelly, John Carter, Mary Nightingale, Martin Roberts, Annika Rice, who ended up doing Holiday and Wish You Were Here, Anna Walker, Ruth England, Steve Hume, Denise Van Houten, Heather Mills, David, Davy Kirkpatrick, Jamie Johnson, Gloria Honeyford, and Tris Payne. And there was a, a new version for the show in 2008 that ITV commissioned, giving Judith Chalmers' son, Mark Durden-Smith, the main role of host, along with Sarah Heaney, in which they visit some of Britain's best-loved holiday destinations. And it's filmed within production studios and not directly on locations. Ha-ha! <laughs> Credit crunch times. Got wish you were here, man. <laughs> In the studio. Wish you were here. And then it was um, Wish You Were Here Now and Then. It was a 25-part series where Durden Smith and Heedy revisit destinations originally visited by Judith and other WYWH presenters. Of course, that is Wish You Were Here. In the original series, to see how much they changed. So, wish you were here. This one I probably remember more than the holiday, than holiday, holiday, the holiday. Right. Um, this is, I think, this is probably winning the war in my house um, from when I was younger. Because, I mean, once my dad got home, anyway, I didn't get to choose what was on TV. It was just on TV, and I watched it or I didn't watch it. That was up to up to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I remember I remember this quite well. Fond memories of the show itself. Um, on you know looking at holidays that probably never gonna go on uh but yeah that's true that's true yeah um hmm. couldn't quite tell you to be honest which show was on our house 
Um, but what I remember, Holiday is a theme tune. The theme tune is just so iconic and so great. I love the theme tune. As much as I love Holiday, this theme tune is just incredible. Wish you were here. It's one of those where it lives. It lives on in in the memory, and it will always it will always live on, and it will always kind of be that where you're like, just I'm I'm back home, and I'm like in our small in our small sort of TV. It's not as big as it is now, but like you're just huddled around the TV and you're watching Wish You Were Here, and you're talking about all these wonderful places and all of the places where you dream that you can build a house in and all of those kind of imagination sort of things. And um, credit to Judith Chalmers, man. She stayed there for like the duration. 1974, 2013, that's what? 2003, sorry, 2003. So uh, she stayed on until like, yeah, pretty much until the end. So that, I thought that was... Uh... I mean... That's pretty good going. But I mean, I would stay in a job where I got free holidays. Like that holidays, I mean. Yeah, but you get bored. Imagine... I could see myself getting bored know. doing this. 100%. If I've been to all the places, like all the nicest places, and I've kind of done that, I'm not sure I, I want to run it back. Like Abdullah. Sorry, man. You're going to have to go back to Barbados. I don't want to go back. You're going to have man, to. Man, I'd have I'm been sorry, to Barbados three, four times. <laughs> I've been to all the islands. I didn't, I didn't had all the food. I didn't drank all the drinks. You should leave me alone. Shoot. Because you see, like, the, you see the presenters. They're not there for, like, the jury, apart from Judith Chalmers. Because obviously, this is, like, her thing. She's staying to the end. Like, presenters were, like, coming in and out. So this isn't a, something that they thought, I'm um, stick with this until. Yeah, it's. Probably because they're like, oh, I've gone Norfolk again. (laughs) 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 Oh, right. Shall we talk about episodes? First I watched was uh, 94. Uh, I watched the one 1989. So you can go first then. They're talking about a resort in Jamaica. Uh, There's a hurricane that's just battered it. And they're kind of rebuilding it. And they're just saying like, and this is like straight up. They're plugging this hotel you know they're paid to be there in this and that and the other so they're, they're saying um i didn't why didn't i write the price down um so they're basically Probably saying cheap. Um, they're just about building it no they're rebuilding it after a hurricane smashed it up but um yeah so this and they said oh it's gonna be open this december like you know reopening or whatever and they said and it made me laugh because they're like um you can supplement your cost of the holiday by flying from manchester i was like do another one <laughs> i ain't going to manchester <laughs> um and then the next place I went was India, uh, in Goa, but I didn't write anything about that for some reason. Um, uh, Austria, which was quite cool. It was um, it was in Tyrol, a place called Tyrol, and it was sunbathing and skiing. So it was like summer, and on top of the mountain there was skiing, and like you could sunbathe because it was so hot, and then the snow would eventually melt in the afternoon, and you had to have to go back down the hill. Um, and then at the end of the episode, uh, I can't remember the lady that presented this, but she wound me right up because she, um, she'd done this, um, she's just kind of an irritating, um, presenter thing. Um, and was it Annika Rice? Mate, I don't know. It's 1989. That's all I could tell you. Um, and she did this thing where she got, she's climbing she, in the hills of Austria, right? Sound of Music Hills, and then, and then she kind of does. I've always wanted to do this, and ran in the like the wildflowers of this hill, and they put the Sound of Music soundtrack over it. I was like, 
off straight away off um no, but you have to next know, episode of what... if you're in that part of the world yeah i mean you have to it's, just a no... it's corny yeah what, what i was gonna say about both shows that they were corny as hell yeah, completely. Yeah. I think hell, was... but I think that was the way in '89 or whatever year, it... kind of late '80s, '90s. That was the way. That was TV for me. That's how I remember it being so really like proper cheesy. Um, the next episode I watched, I didn't write a time down, but it... oh, it must have been. I think 19... it is Annika Rice. Uh, late '90s. I think it is Annika Rice. I was. It was late '90s. And if, you think, if you think, if you thought, if you thought she was Millennium annoying Day. there, then you would love it when we do challenge Annika. When when we when we end up doing that show. We're we'll doing a preview of that. <laughs> You'll love Annika Rice. We're going to get to interview her and everything. Yeah, but you can't show this clip, though, when I said that it was really annoying. Well, uh, I don't know. Like, I remember <laughs> Angela Lamont. I was meant to interview her, but she hasn't got back to me. I don't know if she ended up listening to the episode, but we didn't say bad things about It Will Never Work. We liked it, didn't we? I remember, I remember yeah. liking the show. So, Angela, please talk to me. Please. <laughs> uh, so the next episode I watched was uh, from 94 so this was a whole deal about celebrating D-Day I think it was some kind of um, anniversary it might have actually been 50 years 50 year anniversary yeah, of D-Day yeah. 1944 wasn't it Yeah. Anna Walker is in Mexico and she's just basically having a time of her life I think as well one thing I'm going to say about presenters of this era, and I'm sure we said it about Angela Lamont and all the other lot. Like they never really cared about how they would look outside. Like they were just themselves. They were showing their personalities. They were being wacky. They were being goofy. And I love that. I absolutely love that because it's real. Nowadays it's like, oh, I've got to be careful what I've got to say, and I've got to be careful in how I act, and I've got to be careful in um how I kind of present myself. It's all about my image, all about my image. Back in the day, people would be like, you know what? I'm going to eat this food. Mmm, this is delicious. Nowadays, it's like, I'm going to have a, a tiny little piece of this and a, a tiny little piece of that. But back then, you probably see one of them like yamming some big cheeseburger, like, Argh. you know, just eat the damn burger. You know what I mean? And then, uh, yeah, so um, she's in Mexico doing all the stuff. So basically, I think... Um, her holiday in Mexico, it was, I think, £853 in total. But the only thing they didn't include was no meals. Again, I'm not mad at that because I'm sure you can get, like, a, some burrito and, and, and stuff like that for, like, really, like, a couple of pesos. That's not, yeah, I'm not sweating the no meals. But, like, 853 in total in Mexico for, like, a week or two? That's blessed. And then there's Judith in Portsmouth. And I like how she was um, bantering with the crew by getting the whip because I think it was something about a whip or whatever. She's like going, ha, 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 like just pretending to like whip the crew. I thought that was kind of cute. And uh, yeah, talking about, you know, D it's like basically like a, a D-Day tour or whatever. So you get catering, you see all the collections of medals, you um, go on a, a boat trip throughout and you go to Portsmouth. Again, it was very cheap. It was like, I think, if you get the boat and you're like going around, it's like maybe a couple of quid. Obviously, you go to um, where Charles Dickens was born. You see all of that. And then there's Alison, 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 Alison. Alison ain't got a nick. Alison ain't got a surname. So I'm just going to guess that she was a celebrity doing a, a feature. 
So she's in Normandy Beach, and she's basically hanging out there. And I think she was kind of sort of going in and out. Yeah, so yeah, she was in the Spanish border, not Spanish border, sorry. She was in uh, yeah Normandy Beach, kind of talking about the the significance and the relevance of being in um, Normandy Beach. And I think it was three days, all inclusive, one hundred and eighteen pounds. Again, that that sounds pretty tidy. And uh, the next episode I watched was nineteen ninety seven. I think mine was later than that because mine was um, had the uh, they were building the millennium. Oh, so Dome. yeah, I watched that one too. So I can talk about my ninety seven one. So in uh, nineteen ninety seven, you had Dale Winton in uh, Milan. So he's doing like it was one of those where they just get like a, a celebrity again. Like he's not with us. It's mad. Yeah, I was gonna say like he 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 died. Was it last year? The year before? Yeah, about twenty eighteen. It's crazy, isn't it? Like people, these are people I watched in the nineties. Like these were like people who were on telly, and he was in Milan and Lake Como. I like how he was ordering a fancy coffee, and I was like, and I wrote down, yeah, it hasn't come to England yet. So he's like, oh, I'll have a uh, cappuccino or a mocha. And he's like looking at the camera, going, what the bloody hell are these? Nowadays, it's the rave. Everyone's having a mocha. Everyone's having a latte. Every, every knows. It's yeah. one of those things. That it's, it's 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 the fashion, and uh, he was. Oh, he was incredibly camp. Man, oh man, it was so funny. He was just so camp. Obviously, he's going at fashion, going, oh, I can't believe that ITV will spend all this money for me to go shopping. I love shopping. So he's walking around with the bags and whatever. And he's like, oh, I bet I do more shopping than Anthea Turner. I was like, yeah, I bet you do, mate. And uh, yeah, what else? Um, yeah, he's um, trying to talk uh, Italian. And I think he was asking, what was he asking? He was like, I think it was like, quanto something. And then the guy goes to him, yeah, I'm British, mate. And he's like, oh, okay, I've got to try and find uh, another <laughs> Italian person. And all of that in uh, Milan, Lake Como, whatever, all of it for, I think, about a week was 598 all-inclusive. That's worth noting. Um, so little story about Lake Como. Um, I was with work and, it, and my work said, do you want to go to um, Chinobio? Where? Right. It's a place in Italy and it's on a lake. Sounds like the place where the Princess Diaries is from. I, I just went back to my wife and I said, hey, uh, this trip's come up. Um, can I go on it? It sounds like a you know a cool thing. Um, and she said, as long as it's not Lake Como. I was like, no, 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 it's Chinobio. Chinobio. And I looked up and... I said, look, 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 there's a lake, look. And I zoomed in on it, and then it said Lake Como on the uh, on the lake. And I was like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. What's wrong with Lake Como? Uh, because it was one of those things, like, where we said we would go together as a married couple on, a, on, on, like a, on a weekend away somewhere. And there I was at work with a massive camera on my shoulder, <laughs> just like... Um, on a gondola, you know. just, like, going... <laughs> Yeah, so them little um, boats are nice though, because I went on a gondola not in Italy but in um, in England actually. Oh really? On the I can't remember where. It might have been Canterbury. Uh, Yeah, that's yeah. Canterbury, Cambridge, yeah, yeah, Canterbury. Yeah, on a on a gondola. And um, what else happens in this episode? Um, Anthea Turner is in Biarritz. Well, I'm really sure where the hell that is it might be in africa somewhere because they, they do a profile on kenya talking about how you can do all of this going on safari you go into mombasa in the beaches 
it sounded really good and it sounded again i didn't write the price down for some reason but um yeah it was one of those where it was um really really good what else uh anthea turner is in yeah biarritz i think oh biarritz is between france and spain that's it yeah it's, it's between france and spain and they're kind of talking about that little holiday she's staying on a campsite because it's cheap and you get to have access to lots of activities and you can go to the spanish border there's like a big super mercado you get all your sort of sort of food there and uh you can buy food or whatever obviously it's family friendly and more chilled in the uh, campsite and altogether it's 481 pounds for two weeks which i think might have been family might have been a big family trip for 481 and obviously if you're not spending money on hotels you're not spending money on all of those and you're like saving a bundle on food that could be pretty uh, pretty good one and uh heaven mills before she became a uh, heaven mills mccartney was in uh, canada skiing with her one leg and uh she's she meets geordies she said she's oh oh hey well, what's going on and she goes oh we're up here in canada because it's much cheaper than uh going on skiing in europe and it's like oh more geordies how are you? how are you? and everyone's all getting all excited all of that. Hold on. Did you say she's got one leg? Yeah. Why did I not know she only had one she's, leg? She has one leg. She's got, I think, an artificial she, leg. She was literally taking her leg off she, and going into the swimming pool. Was she skiing with she's one skiing leg? with her uh, her artificial leg. I mean, unless you, at least you wouldn't. I would. Yeah. I've. You know, like I'm blessed with two good legs, and I would never do it. But like, she's there with her artificial leg. Imagine if you broke your good leg. That would be a bummer, wouldn't it? And your other leg was fine. But I think but I think it's one of them where she she knew what she was doing. Fair fair enough. And uh, that holiday cost five hundred and ninety pounds for seven nights all inclusive. This is like um where where was it in Canada? It was a uh, Jasper Mountain or Mount Jasper or whatever it was. Somewhere like far north up in the mountains in Canada. So uh, I'll uh, leave the uh millennium episode for you then yeah so i watched um one where they start off in namibia oh no no they don't no they don't abandon ship abandon ship so a very young nick knowles goes to the bahamas um and i have to say um i'm a huge fan of nick knowles like obviously later on in more of like the diy kind of programs diy sos and stuff like that I loved that as a kid, and I love watching them now when they do the special build things. I think they do incredible work, and I think he's a great presenter. He's funny. He's like, he's he's cool. I like it. Anyway, so he's in the Bahamas, looking very young and pleased himself. Um, he goes to a water park. Uh, he goes to a oh, and he's talking about this guy stroking a shark, and he's talking about the 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 main the suite, like the presidential suite kind of thing in this hotel was twenty five grand a night. Yeah, that's normal presidential suite, but you're not going to go there. Ain't nobody going there. Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't going to go there. Um, and then, then he went to this like kind of New Year's parade thing uh, in Nassua. Some, some I can't remember what that, if that's the way you pronounce it. And they were making like these costumes out of like cardboard and stuff like that, and then doing like this New Year's parade. Um, and I think he got involved because the next day he did like one, one piece to camera, and then he was like, and that was the whole clip. Um, the next bit was I think uh, I might get the order wrong here because I kind of like I wrote it down in the list that they were saying it and then I kind of went 
backwards and forwards. So they were, t- they were talking about like millennium breaks and what can you do for the millennium? Where can you go? So if you want to go to Australia, they're saying it's like 1500 quid a person. Brazil was 1800 pound a person. New York was only 750 pounds per person. Uh, Benidorm was 800. That's more than New York. How's Benidorm more, more than New York? <laughs> so you obviously like <laughs> New York City, 750 pounds and Benidorm, <laughs> Benidorm, <laughs> 800 quid. And. And then Scotland, they didn't have a price for that. Um, it was, I said, probably more than the rest. I think Anthea Turner was outside the. Uh, I wrote. I wrote the oh, O2 she... Arena. Yeah, so uh, she was. She was outside the Millennium Dome, mm-hmm. as it was then back then. And I remember it looking like that. I remember it looking like total trash. The whole place was horrible. Um, I remember because I went to university. Uh, my in my second year of university it was was there in a building just outside it, and. I remember arriving there and thinking, this is all right, you know. I thought it was going to be, like, horrible. I don't know why I thought it would still be just, like, because it, it looked like they'd plonked, like, this, this, you know, this venue literally in the middle of, like, this wasteland. Um, and I was convinced that that's what it was for a long time. Um, uh, anyway, so then they went off to Saint-Tropez, and they were, they were saying they were saying you could do, like, hotels or camping, and it was like a... Is it still for the ultra rich or is it like It was now a then and now because I think she visited Santra Judith Chalmers visited oh, Saint Tropez right. yeah, yeah. in seventy four. Seventy four and then twenty five yeah. years later she goes back. Yeah, she's like, has it changed or anything like that? So uh and then so it's like seven hundred and ninety nine pounds for three nights in Saint Tropez. Then uh, the Homes Under the Hammer guy, don't know his name, loved the show. Um the uh what's let me try and find Martin that, Roberts. I had the episode. Yeah, so I don't know if you like Homes Under the Hammer, but that is definitely one of my favorite shows. Um, if I've ever watching daytime, TV. yeah, yeah. If I'm watching daytime TV, I might, I might, I might, I might look in on it. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so yeah, so he's doing the uh, San Tropez thing, uh, and he says, "Go off peak, two hundred and seventy-four pound in May." No, is that Costa del Sol, isn't it? Uh, oh yeah, sorry, that's Homes in Spain, yeah. The so Saint-Tropez was yeah, the three nights for seven nine nine and Spain in the Costa del Sol was Homes on the Hammer Guy, Golf Peak, two hundred and seventy nine pound in May, four three nine in And he's August. learning about tapas. Which again is something yes. that is massive. People love to go for tapas and he's there in tapas and I think, yeah, did you mention uh Anthea Turner in Namibia? No, I was going back to that now. So I watched a video of Anthea Turner blowing herself up. Not blowing herself up. She got blown up by the pyrotechnics team. Um, I don't know what episode it was, but there was supposed to be a stunt. And I, I studied this not this particular thing, but it was come up in my studies where the, um, the, 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 the risks of working in TV. And this was a video that they showed where she was sat on the edge of a truck and it was supposed to be like a kind of explosion thing and a bike was supposed to come out, but she wasn't supposed to be on there. Uh, And the pyrotechnics team got it wrong because she was just doing her little intro bit and then she blew up. like She actually blew up and then like set her face on fire and everything. Um, Anyway, so going back to Namibia, she went to Namibia, she went on the Desert Express, which looked quite cool. Uh, It's quite an old German colony thing. And then she went on a safari and then she walked on some massive sand dunes, which were the biggest in the world, I think. Mm. Um, and it was twelve hundred ninety-five pounds per person. Was it that? 
Expensive, yeah. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, yeah, I wrote like 1200, 1300 in that ballpark, which is again, that's okay, that's a bit dear actually. Because obviously, I think if you're trying to sell Namibia as this new tourism resort and nobody's ever been there before, it shouldn't cost that much. It's like how a lot of people go to Tunisia as opposed to like Sharm el Sheikh and as opposed to Egypt because obviously it's cheaper, it's kind of the unknown. So in that sense, I was thinking, why the hell would it cost more than um, going to like Kenya or Tanzania? Who, I reckon it's just who paid them to go there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's pick holiday or wish you were here. Do you know what this one was pretty close because they both weren't looking back on it. They both weren't that 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 good. Um, yeah, they were. As in, like watching them like now you know as in like the production values and stuff like that it wasn't much to it it was it was like here's a place this is how much it costs here's what to do kind of thing so and i think purely because of the timeshare thing i'm gonna have to go holiday um that did tickle me uh quite a lot um oh oh uh i don't know yeah okay i'm gonna stick stick i'm gonna stick i'm gonna go holiday yeah this was really really tough because I've kind of sort of broken it down to the Wish You Were Here theme song and Jill Dando. And yeah, I'm I'm going to go with Holiday because I watched it and I was like, yeah, she was such a good host. She, it was kind of like way out when I was watching it first. Like it, this was a very good show. If there was a head to head, it was probably going to win and it ended up winning. But uh, yeah, like the way she was a presenter, the way she was, I just thought it was, I thought she was great. I thought both shows were really, really good. They were a lot better and I enjoyed them a lot more than I did as a kid. And yeah, it was it was just kind of like interesting seeing how I'm looking at prices and thinking, oh my God, this is so cheap. But obviously back then, 500 pounds for a week is there's a ton of money, probably a ton of money right now nowadays but um yeah both shows are really good and uh yeah for the memory of jill dando i'm just gonna go with holiday and uh yeah if the, if any way that we can give her her flowers then uh yeah that's so be it main event time anthony bourdain parts unknown so the show came out in April 2013 and some of the things happening in the world. Japanese researchers unveil the smelling screen, which is a digital display screen capable of emitting pinpointed smells. Ellie Rima, age 16, becomes the first teenager with Down syndrome to climb Mount Everest's base camp. Nicolas Maduro wins a narrow victory in Venezuela's presidential election over Henrique Capriles. Maduro is due to be sworn in as president of Venezuela. He was at the time and he was set to serve until 2019 to complete the term of recently deceased President Hugo Chavez. 42, starring uh, the late Chadwick Boseman as Jackie Robinson, was in the cinemas. And uh, Get Lucky by Daft Punk and Pharrell was number one in the charts. I got two out of three today. That's not bad. So did I. So, uh, yeah. So this was a uh, American travel and food show on CNN. 
which premiered on April the 4th, 2013. And in the show, Anthony Bourdain travels the world, uncovering lesser known places and exploring their cultures and cuisine. Parts Unknown aired and the last sort of episodes came out in 2018 and it won 12 Primetime Emmy Awards out of 31 nominations as well as the 2013 Peabody Award. The digital series explores Parts Unknown, an editorial partnership with Rose and Kingdoms, won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Short Form of Nonfiction or Reality Series. Now he's kind of principal occupation like i said was food and travel and he at the time described his concept as and mind my language people i travel around the world eat a lot of shit and basically do whatever the fuck i want and uh, nigella lawson noted that bourdain had an incredibly beautiful style when he talks that ranges from erudite to brilliantly slangy president barack obama was featured on the program in an episode filmed in Vietnam that aired in September 2016. The two talked over a beer at a local Vietnamese restaurant. The show was filmed and is set in places as diverse as Libya, Tokyo, the Punjab region, Jamaica, Turkey, Ethiopia, Nigeria, far west Texas and Armenia. Right, so Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. I, I know this guy's voice from voiceovers. Like he has one of the coolest voiceover voices I, um, I've ever heard. Um, the parts unknown, never heard of it, uh, but it was super cool. Like so well shot, so well done. Um, it's kind of got that. I like that documentary style. I'm gonna go around and I'm gonna explore this real country, kind of like the Michael Palin. Is that is that his name? Michael yeah, Palin yeah. America, mm. kind of like. Um, I'm just going to go and get involved in all of this different stuff. Um, I don't care if I'm like a, just like a white guy, just, just, you know, just getting involved in all these different cultures. It was cool. I really liked it. I, I yeah. I mean, I knew about Anthony Bourdain and I knew about parts unknown. I never really got around to watching it, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I it's one of those where I would easily sit down and happily watch it. I'll probably go back and, and watch the rest. Like I said, yeah, he's going around the world. He's he's being there with real people, real kind of like, this is the country. This is how we're going to do. And yeah, he just seems like a really, really cool guy. Like I said, yeah, the, he's like a voiceover guy. So you kind of hear him pretty much in most places. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really, really... um like this show and uh, before we talk about uh episodes we've watched um thought talk quick about uh, anthony bourdain so um he was born in uh, new york city on the lower east side in 1956 although he was not raised in a specific religion his father was catholic while his mother was jewish bourdain stated that though he was considered jewish by judaism's definition he said and i quote i've never been in a synagogue i don't believe in a higher power but that doesn't make me any less Jewish, I don't think. And he actually says that in the episode where he goes to Jerusalem. Bourdain's love of food was kindled in his youth while on a family vacation in France when he tried his first oyster on a fisherman's boat. He graduated from the Dwight Englewood School, an independent co-educational college preparatory day school in Englewood, New Jersey in 1973 then enrolled at Vassar College but dropped out after two years. 
He worked in seafood restaurants in Provincetown, Massachusetts, while attending Vassar, which inspired his decision to pursue cooking as a career. Bourdain attended the Culinary Institute of America, graduating in 1978. From there, he went on to run various restaurant kitchens in New York City, including the Supper Club, 1 Fifth Avenue and Sullivan's. In 1988, Bourdain became a exec chef at Brasserie Le Halles, based in Manhattan at the time. The brand had additional restaurants in Miami, Washington and Tokyo. Bourdain remained an exec there for many years and even when no longer formally employed, he maintained a relationship with the restaurant. Bourdain was noted for his put-downs of celebrity chefs such as Paula Deen, Bobby Flay, Guy Fieri, Sandra Lee and Rachel Ray and appeared irritated by the overt commercialism of the celebrity cooking industry and its lack of culinary authenticity. He voiced a serious disdain for food demigods such as Alan Richman, Alice Waters and Alain Ducasse. Bourdain was known for his sarcastic comments about vegan and vegetarian activists, considering their lifestyle rude to the inhabitants of many countries which he visited. He considered vegetarianism, except in the case of religious exemptions, a first world luxury. He said that the playing of music by Billy Joel, Elton John or the Grateful Dead in his kitchens were grounds for firing. Even though Billy Joel was a fan and he visited the restaurant, in early June 2018, Bourdain was working on an episode of Parts Unknown in Strasbourg with his frequent collaborator and friend Eric Ripper. On the 8th of June, Ripper became worried when Bourdain had missed dinner and breakfast. He subsequently found Bourdain dead of an apparent suicide by hanging in his room at the Le Chambard Hotel in Kayersburg near Colmar. Christian du Ricougni du Fayal the public prosecutor for Colmar said Bourdain's body bore no signs of violence and the suicide appeared to be an impulsive act. Ricougni du Fayal disclosed that Bourdain's toxicology results were negative for narcotics, showing only a trace of a therapeutic non-narcotic medication. Bourdain's body was cremated in France in June 2018 and his ashes were reunited or returned to the United States two days later. So again, this is probably one of those situations where remember we were talking about Mark Spate and uh, like mental health with uh, men. I think it was um, Mental Health Awareness Week not that long ago. And also I think International Men's Day was um, last week. So again, it, it might have been one of those where on the surface, he looked really chilled and happy, but on the inside, he's suffering and suffering and he kind of felt so bad that he felt that he had to leave this earth and kind of just take your own life because he felt that that may have been the the only kind of alternative or the only kind of way to um, to get out of this uh, thing that he was in. Yeah, it's always like because I was completely surprised when you told me. Um... That you know that he passed away, and more than he passed away, that he actually killed himself. So it's is it's so shocking, um, you know that you know that this kind of thing happens, and in such 
um, you know, it's the biggest killer of men or or something ridiculous like that under uh, under the age of, uh, I don't even know what, it's, it's quite old, isn't it? older than I thought. So it's like really um, disturbing figures because obviously once your age goes up, it's probably not the, um, the cause of death other than that you die of other things when you get older, mm. you know? No, yeah, it's, it's it's it is. It's one of those things where it's a it's a big killer of 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 men, and I don't know. I mean, who knows why he felt compelled to take his own life? According to the the people in France, it was a an impulse thing. I don't. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 difficult to really kind of speculate and kind of say for sure what it was that did it, but I think with with him and with most people it's just one of those where if you feel really rubbish about yourself or if you feel that you haven't really got much to offer then and you can get into a place in your head where it it gets too much and then once it gets to that breaking point and parts of your brain and your head kind of just switches off then you feel that the only way out for you is to take your own life and it's just it's it's a tragedy and and hopefully we're slowly starting to starting to realize and start to understand that this isn't because obviously again i think i've probably spoken about it back in the day people used to think this was like a, a coward's thing to do oh why are you killing yourself you know man up get on with it and that's and 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 thankfully you're starting to see people realizing that that kind of language that kind of way of talking it's not that doesn't help at all it doesn't help you it's 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 awful to talk like that and and in fact it makes if anything it makes it worse talking like that but um yeah it's just one of those where talk man like talk to people talk to people have have conversations don't don't feel like you're on your own and i'm one of those kind of people where i i tell that to friends family whatever like talk to me man you know i i yeah it's it's, it's like the mental health awareness uh, things and that you just reach out to your mates reach out talk start a conversation like it doesn't have to be hey man how are you really doing it doesn't have to be like that it's just that you know just have a chat. Just have a chat. Build a relationship. You know, just reach out to one of your mates now. Why and because um, and I know maybe this this kind of hits differently because um, a boy I went to school with committed suicide. Um, maybe I think a month or or two ago, and it's one of those where it's, um, it cut me right up when I heard about it. Just like he's my age, I went to school with him. I, di I didn't know him. He was in my year. I know I knew him and 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 things like that, but I did. I wasn't friends with him. I didn't really talk to him, but he was like a face that I knew. And you hear that he was my like my age and takes his life away. And things have been really difficult during this pandemic, especially lockdown. That was one of those times where you're just at home and you're left with your thoughts and you're left with just that really and obviously if you're on your own and or if you're struggling or if you're in a place in your life where your demons are just overbearing and overwhelming then it's one of those where yeah it can 
it can just get on top of you and you could be the coolest guy in the world. You could, I think I read somewhere about um, the people who are like struggling aren't the people who are like down in the dumps. It's the person that wakes up, who goes to work, who's laughing with his mates at lunch, comes back home and he's just silent, just silent doesn't say anything doesn't do anything just on his phone and yeah stuff like that like it it, it hits different and it's like with um the boy in our class like naguba like i just not in my class my year but like yeah just yeah man like shout out to you man and i hope your family and you know it's probably the only time where i can like really go out of my way and like pay my respects to you like yeah i didn't know you that well but yeah, man, you were you were suffering, and it's one of those. Yeah. Right. Shall we uh, talk about episodes that we watched? Okay, cool. So this guy, so basically, this um, Kamal Bell. I think you can read. I know about. I know. I know who W Kamal Bell is. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, so he's originally from his ancestry is from Kenya. So you know, and they're talking is like, oh, let's go to the motherland. You know, the kind of thing. And, and figure out what it's all about. And it's, it's quite, it's quite cool. So basically, he says, he mentions at one point where he feels like a white guy going to these places because he feels so, so different, um, you know, going there because everyone knows they're kind of different anyway. So, um, so they kind of just, you know, go and see what Kenya is all about. And one thing I, and, and I learned here was that Kenya used to have a booming um, textile industry. And, it had like 500,000 or something uh, textile jobs in, in, in the country, uh, textile thing doing really. And it's when the Brits or the Americans put the free trade agreement in and basically forced them to stop selling their own stuff. And do you know, like when you, when you get like a, in a charity box and, and you put your clothes in a charity bank, you know, and, what I thought, and I'm guessing what many people think, that these clothes go to people that actually need them, obviously free of charge, right? No, that's not what happens at all. So apparently, they go into huge shipping containers, like bundle all these clothes into huge shipping containers, and they sell them back to Kenya, and then they sell them as you know, their their that's kind of their stock. So they they buy the the clothes in and they sell them as their stock. I had no idea this was going on. I thought it's like, really dirty. Anyway, so. They're going around Kenya and you know just figuring bits and pieces out, and 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 um, Anthony takes um, Kamal to this place, and they have this goat's head soup, and goat's head soup literally means goat's head cut in half, brains, eyes, and all on a plate, and you could see Kamal just turn at this point. So, I mean, if you've ever been to Africa, one thing you'll know is that you get sick. You get sick when you go to Africa. It's like it's just what happens it it could be the water it could be something you're eating at some point you're going to get sick and i think this is probably the time when he started to get sick because he looked white he was getting a bit like kind of pale anyway then they kind of kind of checked these um these kind of really cool buses out i didn't write down where where they went in kenya by the way unfortunately but so they tricked out these buses and like the better the bus some had like air fresheners air conditioning loud music lights on the front and like you know the best um buses were like the brightest and the loudest kind of thing and they kind of did a little piece about this woman that was um uh an italian kenyan woman 
and but and she was just talking about how nobody sees me any different you know even though she was like this kind of small white woman um who was literally just rocking it with with everybody else um and then i learned then so we go to look at this place that does uh, wildlife conservation and do you know what the difference is between a white rhino and a black rhino apparently there's no difference in the color or there can be no difference in the color they can be all different colors the difference is the 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 mouth the white rhino has a wide mouth and that's um the i think um the, the language was like wide or something like that the name the name was wide and then basically some english bloke come and said oh yeah yeah white white um uh, and then they did this bit right so when i talk about um <laughs> uh, come out so basically they did this um ritual where they so they went to this particular tribe and they they, they love the cow they worship the cow the cow's really good everything they use everything to do with the cow they look after it really well and one thing they do is they they drink its blood and they had this kind of archer this bowman kind of they shoot it in the neck in an artery in the neck and they catch the blood and then they mix the blood with the milk of the cow and then they drink it and honestly this is i reckon this is probably towards the end of the trip and kamal was literally looking as white as i'm looking now <laughs> and he was sipped he sipped he kind of sipped this warm bloody milky drink <laughs> uh and he was like um yeah he he did look he kind of smiled i'm not drinking that i don't care they could do what they want i'm not <laughs> drinking that Oh uh, yeah, it was it was quite funny to watch it because he was not in a good way. Anyway, then they went to this other tribe, and it might have been the same tribe actually. I can't remember where they were, and and it started to rain, and they all like, oh my god, you brought the rain, you're you're you know this kind of sick guy thing, and they had this really really cool like traditional um festival, and they were talking about how traditionally they look after the land. Uh, I'm talking uh, you know going back centuries, they they look after the land. You know, obviously they they hunt what they need to hunt and they look after the rest and they, they, you know, they, they're kind of there to keep a balance. And then when white tourists come over from the States and from Europe and from England and stuff like that, they want trophies. So they let them, uh, and obviously the Chinese with the rhino horns and stuff like that, and they let them poach. And they said that this conservation group has to go to the tribe and say, you got to stop because what it was is the people, the, the Brits and everyone else would pay these people thousands and thousands of pounds and give them everything that they need in the immediate term, obviously at the expense of the um, of the environment. So what the conservationists have to go and do is talk to them and say, listen, like what you're doing is good for you in the long run, but it's not good for you in the, sorry, in the, in the short term, but it's not good for you in the long term. And they had to kind of like change their way of thinking because they were just so like caught up in this, like making money now, you know, kind of... Um, trying to basically trying to educate these people don't take the money now off these people that are just wrecking your land this is your place and it's for your it's not for you necessarily because you're not going to see a difference but it's for your grandkids and their grandkids and, and so on and so forth anyway so that's the end of that episode and next episode i watched was a cowboy one and it was in texas and mexico um now that i'm talking to it i think i've forgotten most of the episode but um so it starts off and they're kind of like going to these people that basically the nearest town is like over 100 miles away, you know, and these people live on the land, they work the land, they and they do things like all 
old school cowboy style. So they're literally like driving cattle by hand. There's no machines. There's no like um, helicopters or jeeps or anything like that. Literally on horseback. Um, uh, and it's really cool. Um, and then they start to kind of go out and explore. And I never knew that like, you know, t- Texas was so close to Mexico and um, on the border. The, the, yeah, but I, 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 my, my U.S. geography is rubbish. But the, 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 the communities are very intertwined, and they kind of rely on rely on one another. So, what one thing that was really interesting is that they were going around and talking to the locals how they felt about this whole Donald Trump wall thing, and they were like, "If the wall goes up, like this, this is one community they're going to put a wall up, basically in the middle of it." Um, and they're talking about how the, to this woman. Um, these these two people were like kind of boyfriend girlfriend and one was mexican one was american the american was the girl and the mexican was a guy and the the woman can literally just go to his house and see him and she can go backwards and forwards but he can't he has to go through the american border system in texas or near there somewhere it's far away anyway and he had to like go wait two hours to to wait to see if he can come into the US and they just denied him boom no you can't come in and that's the end of that he can't he has to go two hours back but she can literally just go to his house and he can't go to hers. And I just thought it was crazy how, you know, you get told like, oh, you're building a wall so the Mexicans can't get in and the immigrants are coming over and this and that and the other. And you don't realize that it's actually like, it's one community, you know, it's not just people crossing the borders. This is communities and people's lives are at stake. And it gives a real human side to the story. And I thought this was like a absolutely brilliant, episode so yeah the first one i watched was uh myanmar and so it, it used to be called burma but now it's called myanmar i didn't even know that they changed their names and yeah so he's basically going around he's yamming all the food obviously i think it used to be a, a country that was um controlled like they control the the, the how, what people say like there was like big censorship and then they obviously talk about the wonder that is and San Suu Kyi, whatever her name is. Obviously, this is before the whole world realized what a war criminal she is. I mean, they didn't they didn't actually show her, but you know, the only place I'll really want to hear her opinions and thoughts are in front of a judge in The Hague. That's about the only place I ever want to hear her talk. Um, yeah, so this is obviously just before the whole thing with the Rohingya Muslims. But yeah, he's just going around there talking to these different kind of people. And they're obviously saying, oh, now that the uh, military is kind of gone, we can kind of say what we want. We can kind of do what we want. We can kind of go here, there, everywhere and and not kind of fear. And they're talking to people who are like, you know, what? we've been in jail. Like we've been in jail for like X amount of days, X amount of months or whatever. It's horrible in there. And we don't really want to go back there again. And I think, yeah, he was saying that now, nowadays it's like, because obviously, because people have been in jail, they're a lot more careful, a lot more aware of what they're saying and what they're doing. And they don't really want to fall into that whole, um, fall into that whole trap again. And that was um, that episode. Probably the most intriguing and interesting episode was when he went to um, Jerusalem and going to like, Israel and West Bank and Gaza and I think even at the beginning he was like you know what I'm going to be real some, there's going to be some people who are going to look at me and think oh my god I'm a Zionist 
There are some people who are going to look at me and think I'm a, a Jew hater. There's some people who are going to think I'm a socialist. Uh, some people who are going to think I'm a fascist. He's like, I don't know. I'm going to just go there. Let's see what we can do. So he's basically going around to um, Israel first. And he's talking to this guy. And he's basically like, oh, okay, look, this is falafel. This is really nice. And, you know, he was like, look, where's this come from? Let's see. Let's just get it out there. Let's talk about it. And even like the Israeli guy was kind of like, yeah, low key. This is Arab. Like he goes, this is kind of a newer innovation for, for us. He was like, this is mainly like hummus, falafel. He goes, this is mainly Arab stuff. This is not necessarily something for us. And they're going around. And he then goes to this um, settler place. And there was this graffiti on the wall or whatever, on the kind of place. And on it, it says like, Arabs die or Arabs leave, all this kind of stuff. And he's basically talking to the guy going, why is that there? And he goes, if that's on my house in America, he goes, I'm leaving. And so he's chatting to this guy. He goes, so who did it then? And then obviously the guy's like, oh, we don't know, man. Is it kids? Maybe it's kids. Okay, if it's not, then who is it then? And you can kind of see that the camera's focusing on this guy and he looks sheepish as hell. I'm thinking, I bet you did it. I bet you the one who put that graffiti on. And so then like, he's saying, why don't you paint over it then? And then he was like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea, paint over it. And obviously they're talking about the big wall that they've built. And obviously he's like, it's a wall. He's like, I'm not having that. This is a fence. This is a wall. And then he goes to the um, the Palestinian side and he's chatting to um, Palestinians and he's learning about their sort of cuisines. I'll tell you now, Palestinian food, absolutely incredible. I remember like um, I went to a, a Palestinian place in, um, God, where was it? It was West London, Ladbrook Grove, I think it was. I don't know what was in that wrap, but it was probably like one of the best things I've ever had in my life. Like it was chicken. It was that it was like, ah, I can't even describe it. It was so good. And um, yeah, like Palestinian and he's like eating makluba, which I think it's like some chicken, rice, almond, like nuts. Like it's like a whole like concoction of like foods all together. He's like, oh, this is so good. This is delicious. And obviously he's like chatting to like Palestinians and he's saying like, you know, what do you hope for the future? And the guy next to him was like, I want to I want to go to Al-Aqsa. And he's obviously like, yeah, like, wh why don't you make it happen sort of thing? And then obviously he's like, and he's like, well, if it's up to me, then I would make it happen. And I think, obviously, the old guy didn't obviously realise he's just a TV guy. He's, he's not in power. There's not nothing that he can really do. So, yeah, he's, like, chatting to them. He's learning about all these different, like, traditions and, 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 and so much. And I think, honestly, it was probably the best he could do. If you're going to do a programme about Israelis and Palestinians, this was probably the best way you could do it without pissing off one side or another. He, uh, like, to be fair, like, he 
went one side, he went one side. He played both sides. And I thought he did it in the best kind of way you can do it if you're going to play both sides. So that was that one. And the last episode I watched was um, him going back to his hometown in the Lower East Side of New York. So he was kind of talking about how in the 70s and the 80s, it was uh, it was just basically a shithole. I guess I can say it now because I'm going to put the E on the uh, the, uh, the episode anyway. So, yeah, he was saying how and then obviously like you had all these um, different artists and different people who came from this place of ruin and they kind of turned it into like art. They kind of turned it into um, something that the world can admire. So like the Ramones, I think he mentioned, he mentioned Basquiat, the, uh, the famous artist, Blondie. You know, they they came from that. And yeah, again, talking about how gentrification might be hurting this place now. Because obviously um, the Lower East Side, hmm. I'm guessing that's like in sort of the Manhattan borough. So yeah, like with gentrification, like when I was in Brooklyn, I remember, I don't know who I was talking to. I go, right, I'm going to go to Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, you better be careful. You're going to Brooklyn. Brooklyn. BK and all this stuff. I'm like, I went there. It was perfectly safe. It was perfectly reasonable. It wasn't scary at all in the slightest. And you had like people walking in the middle of the night. And it, you could tell Brooklyn was heavily, heavily gentrified. And I think with the Lower East Side, and I think he was saying that the problem is that if you kind of make it more gentrified, there's a danger that it might lose its life. It might lose its vigor that it had in the seventies and eighties. And even like some there where um, like hip hop kind of came from that kind of part of the world in New York as well. So they were kind of talking about like break dance crews and how they kind of started up. It was a really like, yeah, it was like a nice full circle because obviously that's where he's from and he's going there and he's going, you know, this is home for me. This is where I'm from. And he's talking to all these different artists and how they kind of, survived and they kind of made it up made their way through life in uh in those uh, sort of tumultuous times and they were talking about how the police kind of like shut down this place where you had um tents where like homeless people were putting up tents and i think the police kind of took that away from them so yeah that was um that was a really good um final finality to it no, I, I would just say that if people want to learn a little bit about the world and enjoy themselves whilst they're doing it, watch this show. It's really cool. I really like the show. Um, it's a great show. It's on Netflix, um, and each episode is 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 is, is amazing. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the ones that I watched, and I will probably watch some more. So, yeah, crack on. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll bring it. We'll bring it to an end. And uh, yeah, thank you all for uh, listening. Obviously, a lot, of p- quite a few people responded to the Animaniacs episode. Obviously, it's still out there, so go listen to it. I believe the new series of Animaniacs is also out, so uh, probably worth checking that out. Uh, a warm welcome to uh, listeners in Russia. Privet got listeners in Russia. Shout out to uh, listeners in Russia. Privet. Dobrovitcha, I think, is good evening, isn't it? Dobrovitcha, oh, I think, is good day. That's the only one. That's the only thing. Privet, Kaktilan, how are you? Miniadavu is my name is. And yeah, uh, Nastorovia as well. I know that. But um, yeah, that's that's about as much Russian as I know. 
And obviously, yeah, shout out to uh, to uh, the big uh, the big Russia, Mother Russia, listening to my podcast. So yeah, big ups to you, man. And uh, yeah, if you're anywhere around the world, please listen to Yesterday's Capers. It's for everybody, and uh, we're available wherever you get your podcast from. So give us a listen and uh, check us out. We're on the socials on Instagram at Yesterday's Capers One. You can find us on Twitter at Yesterday Capers. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers. YouTube.com forward slash yesterday's capers. Just in case YouTube don't bug out, you can listen to episodes on there. Yeah, you can find me on socials on Instagram at Abdullah underscore Molim. You can find me on um, Twitter at Abdullah Molim. Give me a holler, give me a shout, and uh, join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. <laughs> <laughs>